Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. If you came to church last Sunday for the first time ever, or for the first time as, uh, for Easter, and you, you're a Christ, Easter, Christ, Christmas kind of person, when we read this scripture this morning, you're going to go, holy moly, is it Christmas already? It's actually not Christmas, although this morning when I came out and my doors were frozen shut, <laughs> anybody else have that blessed experience? My goodness. But anyways, uh, it's not Christmas, but we're going to read a Christmas passage in a moment. It's interesting how people choose their children's names. There's a website that is appropriately called bump.com. And we have a lot of young mothers in this church. And I imagine some of you probably have your own profile on bump.com. I've never been there before this week. But bump.com gives all of these interesting ways that people come up with names for their children. One of the best ones I found was uh, a couple created 64 names, like the March Madness NCAA bracket. They picked out their top 64 names, they bracketed them 1 to 16, created a a region, and the husband and wife sat down and had them go one-on-one. And then they would move a name to the next level until they got to the final four, and then they had a national championship name, and that became their kid's name. Another one, a couple put a marker board outside the door of their hospital room when she was going to deliver and put their top three or four names on there and said, everybody that walked by had a marker hanging, said, please vote. And so doctors and nurses and random visitors and clean housekeepers went by and that's how they got the names of their baby, the name of their baby. A lot of interesting ways how people choose their children's name. I want to read this morning um, the story of how... Jesus got his name. By the way, uh, by way of uh, just for the sake of information, um, you want to know what the top three baby names are for girls and boys in 2018? Top three are, here they are. Emma, Olivia, and Ava for the girls, and Liam, Noah, and Logan for the boys. So any of you that want to have children, you're welcome. I just gave you your children's. You don't have to have the March Madness bracket to figure out what you're going to name your kid. We read the story this morning in Matthew chapter 1 about how Jesus got his name. We're going to talk about Jesus over the next few weeks from the Gospels because I believe that the more you know about Jesus, the more reason you have to love him and serve him and honor him. Amen? He's one of the, uh, Jesus is, 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 the more you know him, the more you're going to love him, the more you're going to want to serve him, and the more you're going to want to honor him with your life. So let's read Matthew chapter 1. This follows the genealogy that Matthew gives us. It says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 31, Mary also had an encounter with the angel Gabriel. And he said to her as well, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Our text this morning is Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ, which is not as popular as Luke's account, which is longer and more elaborate and more descriptive, perhaps. It comes right after the genealogy of Jesus and is found right before the story of the wise men, which happens to be appear only in Matthew's gospel. To understand the life and teaching of Jesus, it's important to understand his name. If you were to look, if you were to research and find the birth certificate of Jesus, which would be about as difficult as finding Obama's, that was just free. I did that was free. That wasn't even in the sermon until it popped out this morning, and it worked so well. I thought I'd use it again. If you were to locate the birth certificate of Jesus, on his birth certificate, it would not say Messiah. It wouldn't say Lily of the Valley. It wouldn't say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The birth certificate of Jesus would say Jesus. This was his earthly given name. Over the past 2,000 years, more people on the planet have known the name of Jesus than any other name. Since A.D. 33, over 8 billion people, by one estimate, have claimed to be followers of this Jesus. Billions more have heard his name. Today, the name of Jesus can be found in more than 6,000 languages, and more are being added every year, according to Kevin DeYoung. The significance of Jesus' name is seen in this passage of Scripture, and I just want to mention a few things that the name of Jesus reveals to us from our text this morning. Notice with me, first of all, that the, the name of Jesus reveals his infancy. Of all the things about Jesus' birth that seem to be aberrational, that seem to be out of character for a royalty, for royalty, for someone who's coming from heaven, of all the things that seem to be out of place, we often think about the fact that a baby born of a king, a king child, a child that was going to be king, born into this world, we often think about how out of place it was for him to be born in a manger, in a stall, in, in, the, in the circumstance of animals. And it certainly was. We often think that it was, it's strange that Jesus, the King of the world, the Son of God, was born to humble, lowly people like Joseph and Mary. And it certainly is a bit strange. And we've often, around Christmas particularly, we surmise on how this should or could have been and what it might have looked like if it was appropriately done. But of all the things about Jesus that are so remarkable, it's not the lowly stable that he came to that was so so uh, 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 unbelievable for his life. It's not his humble parents that is so uh, remarkable. What is most remarkable is that the Son of God came as an infant. The one who would come to die for our sins, the one who is the hope of all the earth, the one who has been worshipped and adored for it's not, it's, it's, it's aberrational that he came in a barn, but it's far crazier that he came as an infant. The story that we read this morning is the story surrounding a young, naive, and noble couple. They were men and a young man and a young woman of integrity, but yet they were intimidated by the circumstances they found themselves in. And to think that God Himself would send His only Son into this world 
and, come, and, and send him as an infant to totally inexperienced parents. The story we read this morning is about a man, Joseph, who hears from an angel in the middle of the night. Before that, even his wife, his, his wife-to-be rather, Mary, heard from an angel in the night. The Son of God, to think that the Son of God would enter into this world as a tiny baby placed in the care of this inexperienced couple. The scripture says that this is the circumstance of his birth. Joseph, who was betrothed to marry his wife. Betrothal in those days was simply a legal contract between two families. It was more of a relationship between Joseph's family and Mary's family than perhaps it even was between Joseph and Mary. It was two families who had entered into a legally binding contract that our children are going to marry. And the, and, the, and the boy's family, and particularly the, the boy, is going to provide a dowry or a bridal gift to the bride. And there's this legal arrangement. You couldn't get out of it without a legal divorce. The only thing that was waiting in, in a betrothal was the, the, the glorious wedding celebration, which would last up to a week. The moving of the daughter, the moving of the girl from her home into the home of the man that she would marry who, who he had been spending months or perhaps a few years building this home and the physical consummation of the marriage. That was the only thing left. And Joseph and Mary had this legally binding contract, yet they had never been together. Their parents, their family were in on this. And in the middle of that, of all the ways you can think of naming your baby, imagine a couple dating, getting ready to get married, and they both see an angel in the night and say, you're going to have a kid. He's not the dad, and here's his name. It's the story of Jesus. This this story and, and, and this naming of this of, of the angel here tells us of Jesus' infancy. The appearance of the angel in these verses is to ensure Joseph that his the bride is to be with child and one of miraculous conception. It is in this conversation that the name of the child is given to Joseph. It speaks of Jesus' infancy. But notice, secondly, that Jesus was born as an infant into the world, but but this name Jesus reveals to us his deity. It reveals to us his deity. Jesus was coming as a babe in a manger, we know that, but, but Jesus was not just an ordinary babe. As we read, the angel said to Joseph, Mary is going to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. In a miraculous, supernatural, unbelievable, never before happened way, your bride-to-be is going to give birth, and the child within her is the Son of God. This child will have an earthly mother, but this child will not have an earthly genetic father. This child will genetically be the son of God. And you're going to call his name, oh, by the way, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was a name that was, it's a name that is two two Hebrew words put together. It's the name Yahweh. And it's, it's a word in Hebrew that means saves. In other words, Yahweh saves. Yahweh, you're going to name this child, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to name this child Yahweh. You're talking to, you're talking to Jews, and, and the Jews, in the Old Testament, Yahweh, more than, more than two or three times any other name referring to Jesus, Yahweh was the name, rather, rather to God, Yahweh was the name they used to refer to God. It was in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses said to God, God, I'm going to Pharaoh, who do I say sent me? And God said, I'll tell you who sent you. Tell them I am that I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh sent you. Tell them the one 
who is self-sustaining, all-powerful, totally significant in his own, totally independent of needing anyone. Tell him the one who has been from all ages past and will be in ages in the future. Tell him the one who is all truth and all power. and all. Tell him the one who is I am. Tell him that's who sent Yahweh. And the angel said, you're going to name this baby. Yahweh saves. It speaks of his deity. He never had a beginning. In the Old Testament, Yahweh was understood as one who had never had a beginning. Yahweh was known in the Old Testament as one who would never have an end, who was absolute reality. He was completely independent. Yahweh in the Old Testament was painted as one upon which everything in the world depended and upon who he himself depended on nothing. All the universe is by comparison to God or Yahweh as nothing. That's how they considered this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they knew that God was constant. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He could not be improved upon and he would never be diminished. God was the absolute standard. Yahweh was the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. There was nothing that could be added to him. Nothing could be altered from him. God did whatever he pleased. Yahweh did whatever he pleases. And whatever he did, it was always right and always beautiful and always in perfect harmony with his character and his nature. This is Yahweh. And he said, I want you to name your son Jesus. Yahweh saves. And when they named this child, it described not only his identity, but it described his mission. Yahweh saves. In the Old Testament, Yahweh was the most important, most valuable reality and person in the universe. And when he said, you shall call his name Jesus, he was describing the divine nature of Jesus. Thirdly, this morning, when the name Jesus reveals to us his humility. Actually, I just spent those moments telling you that Yahweh, Jesus means Yahweh saves. And it's, it speaks to us his divinity, and it does. But something else you need to know about the name Jesus is the name Jesus was a common name. In the Jewish world, there were many parents who had a little boy and said, you know what, we want to have a boy. And maybe it was hope and anticipation in their heart that they said, we're going to name our boy Yahweh Saves. And there were lots of little Jesuses running around. As a matter of fact, Josephus says that there, are more than, there were more than 20 in his, his writings alone that he mentions. In the New Testament, we read in Luke chapter 3 about a, a man named Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, in Hebrews chapter 4, and in Colossians chapter 4, Paul says he had a man, a co-worker uh, named Jesus Justice. A Jewish magician, Paul and Barnabas, met in Cyprus. His name was Bar-Jesus. And some ancient manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew refer to the robber released by Pilate as Jesus Barabbas, which would be translated, ironically, Jesus, son of the Father. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that when when the angel said, "You're you're going to name your baby boy Jesus, he was giving Jesus a common name. And Jesus not only wrapped himself in human flesh, but he identified himself with the ordinary men and women of this world. It speaks of his humility. Jesus' was na- Jesus name on his birth certificate, it reveals the simple reality that God stooped low to become one of us. In those days, your name and your hometown were significant to your destiny. And so... It was often said that this was Saul of Tarsus, his name, and his hometown. Jesus of Nazareth, right? 
And the, and, the, and, the, and the way this worked was for, for a rabbi, to be a rabbi, you needed to have a dad who was a good rabbi. And your dad not only had to be a good rabbi, but you had to come from a good city where they had good training stations for rabbi. You had to have a good education for rabbi. And for 30 years, you were sort of under the umbrella of your rabbinic father. And then at 30, you could become a rabbi. But you needed to be a person of, of great education. You needed to have a good uh, posterity. You needed a father who was a rabbi. And you needed to be from a place that gave you a good education. Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was a great place to be, for a rabbi to come from. But all of a sudden, we, say, we hear them say, you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to be from Nazareth. Nazareth? A common laborer? A man with a name like Jimmy or John or Paul or Sam or Mary? or There were lots of Jesuses. As a matter of fact, he was from a place that was totally obscure. One writer said that, that Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life in Nazareth, a hamlet so insignificant that no classical author mentions it until the 3rd century, and then only because Nazareth had, been, had acquired some nostalgic value because of Jesus. In Jesus' days, Nazareth was as good as nowhere. Someone from Nazareth was no one and could not possibly have any insight into Scripture. He was Jesus. He was John. He was John Doe. He was ordinary. He was simple. If a modern writer wanted to depict the relationship of Jesus of Nazareth with the rabbinical tradition of his day in a, phys- in a fictional story, this is how he would tell it. He would tell us about someone named Jake Jr., whose academic credentials consisted of a mail-order certificate from the University of Dripville. That was Jesus of Nazareth. You see, there are a lot of Jesus. People named their kids, oh, Jesus. We, these were Jews. They wanted Yahweh to save them. I think, what are we going to name the boy, honey? Well, I don't know. We put it on the marker board, and the doctor wrote Jesus. So, okay. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Let's, let's name our baby. Oh, and we hope during his lifetime that Yahweh will come. And yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, a picture of his deity. But yet there were lots and lots of Jesus. And, and Jesus was from Nazareth. That's why they said, can any good thing come out of there? Jesus was teaching in one place and they said, is this Jesus? The son of Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth? Well, he didn't go to Harvard. He didn't go to Stanford. I would say something else, but I'd defend somebody's alma mater, so I'll just back off of that right now. (laughs) I I can't. I just got to keep going because it would be funny, but I don't. In other words, to the academic world of the day, the name Jesus of Nazareth meant John Doe, the proverbial ordinary guy of no particular academic merit. It instilled little confidence in anyone with learning and constituted quite an insult when people began to notice what he was saying during his ministry. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Who is he? Can I just stop long enough to say, I'm glad that Jesus came as the perfect, sinless, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, omniscient, eternal Son of God. I'm glad he's that, aren't you? But are you glad with me this, aren't you glad with me this morning 
that it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your education is, what your social status is, what your economic status is. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you have gone. There's an ordinary Savior who came to reach to the lowest of the low. Amen. I tell you what, Joseph, call him Jesus. Call him Jesus. And Jesus of Nazareth was like John from Roanoke or Billy from Manita or any other guy. He came to walk among the common and ordinary people of his day. Finally this morning, the name Jesus reveals his glory. The angel said, you're going to name him Jesus because for the first time in Jewish history, Somebody named Jesus. Somebody named Jesus is going to deliver his people. You see, Joshua is the Old Testament name for Jesus, right? And Joshua is an Old Testament picture of Jesus. And Joshua did lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And that was a glorious time. If you read the first few chapters of the book of Joshua, it's a beautiful picture of God's glorious victory and how the, how the people of God ought to work. But you see, that was a temporary, political, earthly victory. And Jesus of Nazareth would, for the first time in the history of the world, be a person who lived up to his name. Jesus is going to be his name because he is going to save his people from their sin. You see, names meant something in that day. Adam was named Adam, and the name means first man. Eve was named Eve, and her name means mother of all living. Abraham means the father of many nations. Benjamin was the son of his father's right hand. Moses means drawn out of the water. Peter means rock. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And what about Jesus? The angel said, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to live up to it. And the glory of Jesus' name is the power that is found in his name. And I got good news for you this morning. I do not know who you are. I do not know your life. I do not know your circumstances. I do not know what's going on in your world. But I do know this about every person in this room. Every single person in this room is born a sinner and is in desperate need of a Savior. And the glory that we see in Jesus is that He came and the disciples didn't get it. The Pharisees and the Romans thought He was some political threat to them and that got them all up in ire and unfolded the plan of God for His crucifixion and enabled His resurrection. The disciples looked at Him and said, Man, this is it. This is going to be the David. We've, been, we've never lived when David was alive. This is our David. We're going to dominate. And He said, No, I didn't come to do this. He came to deal with the deep-seated issue that every human heart wrestles with. And that is the issue of sin. One of the problems with Christianity today is we've turned Jesus into a self-help guru. We've turned Jesus into a nice counselor. We've turned Jesus into someone who can aid and help and enable me in my life so that I can do what I really want to do successfully. And you know, all of those things, certainly he is a wonderful counselor and he is all of those things and he can bless and empower and enable. But the reason Christ came into this world is to deal with your number one problem and that is the sin 
that is in your heart and in my heart. Amen. Power in his name. More than a great teacher, more than an enlightened man, more than a worker of miracles, more than a source of meaning in life, more than a self-help guru, more than a self-esteem builder, more than a political liberator, more than a caring friend, more than a transformer of cultures, more than a purpose for the purposeless. Jesus is the savior of sinners. Bob said a moment ago, I thought that was fascinating when he said some of those people in Dominican Republic say, uh, I'm not ready to be a Christian because I don't want to give up my sin. Well, what we need to tell them is all they need to do is move to America and join the American church and you can do both. (laughs) Ouch. I'm feeling like I just need to meddle right here for a moment. I was in a store the other day standing behind two young men. They were telling me, they were telling each other, loud and proud. They were actually buying some clothing because they were going to party hard tonight. One of them was talking about, it was his girlfriend or his fiance or his wife. His significant female in his life was being something that she shouldn't be. And you don't say those things in church. And he was not taking her tonight. There were some other girls. He was going tonight. And I was, I was saddened and just listening. I was actually feeling sorry for middle-aged men that are still feeling the need to do that. And I was praying, Lord, I didn't want to mess when they had tattoos. They beat me up. But anyways, I was praying for them, you know. What got me, though, what got me, though, I knew, I knew the Lord had this for a reason. I didn't tell this in the first service. I don't know why I'm telling it now except the Lord's prompting. But what got me was when in the course of that conversation, this is how it wrapped up. Yeah, her and I are going to church on Sunday. I'm glad. I'm glad he's going to church on Sunday. And I hope the preacher tells him that Jesus Christ came to save him from his sin. And that you don't have to live like the devil on Saturday. And you don't have to live like the devil on Friday. And you don't have to chase after the pursuit of the sinful, fleshly, lustful things of this world. And then try to hope to come in on Sunday like a once a week shower. You can live right for Jesus because he came to deliver us from the penalty of sin. And from the dominion of sin in our life. And from the punishment of sin. And someday he's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. And we're going to reign eternally with him. Amen. Ever since that first Christmas, Jesus has been more than just a name. He's been our comfort in life and death, our only hope in a hopeless world. And the scripture goes on to tell us, and you can throw this slide up, guys. We'll just all do it all at once. That in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. No other name. It tells us that when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in John chapter 10, that you have life. You have life in His name. In Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We work according to His name. 
in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do in word or deed, we ought to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians, it says that someday every knee is going to bow before that name. For God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to tell you something. When the angel said, you're going to name this baby Jesus. Oh, I'm so glad it meant that he was, he was glorious and powerful. I'm glad it meant that he, was, that he was humble and lowly. And I'm glad it means today that Jesus Christ on April the 8th, 2018 can change your life. Amen. This is the name. I wonder this morning how many of us say, I just need to talk to Jesus. I just need to, I need to talk to Jesus this morning. I want us to stand together. I want us to sing a chorus that it's old. Maybe you know it, but maybe it's new to you. But I want you just to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning as we wrap up. Let's sing this together, would you? after his followers he's too reverent in the English we don't name him we don't name him Jesus anymore too reverent but we name our kids Paul and Peter and Mary and Elizabeth and you know what we name our dogs Caesar Nero amen kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name I want to sing that again this morning and as we sing I just want to invite you if you're here say, I just need to talk to Jesus I need to talk to him about my sin I need to talk to you about my family. I want you to come. I know it's awkward to do this. We don't have a lot of space. But I want you to come. I want to pray together. We're going to have a time of prayer together here in a moment. As we sing this course, you come if you need to talk to Jesus this morning. Would you do that? Let's sing this together. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, he wants to talk to you this morning. Amen.
come forward. We have some folks that need prayer this morning. Some of you are leaders in our church. You're comfortable praying with others. I need you to come forward. And we're going to have prayer with those who are here. You come this morning as we pray. When we're done praying, we're going to continue to pray with those who have come. But if you need to be dismissed, you feel free to do so. But we want to pray together with these who are here. Let me just challenge you to trust Jesus today. Amen. Lord, we just trust you this morning. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our life. We thank you for your blessing and your help and your wisdom in our life this morning. We pray, Lord, this morning for your power to be unleashed in our life today. Lord, we know that the key to that is not some mystical thing happening in the atmosphere, but Lord, the surrender that takes place in our heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And there are men and women here today, Lord, who need to surrender their heart to the speaking and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God right now. And you said you would send your spirit and he would convict the world of sin and of truth and of righteousness. And Lord, he would draw all men to you. And so this morning, would the Holy Spirit of God do that right now in these moments that we have? I pray for those, Lord, who are here praying this morning. I thank you for them coming to seek you. And I pray your blessings upon them right now. I pray that you would answer the cry of every hungry heart this morning for what they need in their life today. We pray this in Jesus' name and with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Amen.